Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show, where we talk about the biggest issues impacting millennial money, from student loan debt to side hustles to building wealth. We will show you how to get out of debt so that you can build real wealth for the future. Hey there. Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show. So glad you're here today. Now, today we take a look at the impact of structured settlements on financial aid. Let's get right to it, shall we? All right, so in some cases, a structured settlement can be used to shelter money from a settlement from student financial aid formulas. And here's how financial need is evaluated, first of all. Eligibility for need-based financial aid really depends on the student's demonstrated financial need. Financial need is the difference between the college's annual cost of attendance, or COA, and the student's expected family contribution, or EFC. The cost of attendance, or total college costs, includes tuition and fees, as well as allowances for room and board, books, supplies and equipment, transportation, and other miscellaneous personal expenses. The expected family contribution is based on the student's income and assets, the parent's income and assets, family size, number of kids in college. This information is reported on financial aid application forms, like the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, FAFSA, and the CSS Profile. The FAFSA is used to apply for financial aid from the federal government, state governments, and most colleges and universities. The CSS Profile is a supplemented financial aid application form used by less than 200 colleges for awarding the college's own financial aid funds. Assets are reported as of the date the FAFSA is filed. All right, so starting with the 2018, I should say the 17 into 18 academic year, income reported on the FAFSA has been based on the second previous tax year, otherwise known as the prior prior year. So for example, the 2022-23 FAFSA is based on income from 2020. Because income is reported from the prior prior year, any distributions that are received on or after January 1st of the sophomore year in college will not be reported on the FAFSA if the student graduates within four years. If it takes the student longer to graduate, the income might have an impact. If there's any uncertainty about when the student will graduate, some families will wait until after the last FAFSA is filed or even after the student graduates before taking distributions to avoid having the distributions affect eligibility for need-based financial aid. Student assets increase the EFC by 20% of the net asset value on the FAFSA and 25% of the net asset value on the CSS profile. So, parent assets increase the EFC on a bracketed scale, like up to 5.64% of the net asset value on the FAFSA, up to 5% of the net asset value on the CSS profile. The net asset value of parent assets is reduced by an asset protection allowance, which is generally decreasing and will eventually disappear entirely from the financial aid formula. Parent assets may also be disregarded by the simplified needs test on the FAFSA if the parent income is less than $50,000. And the parent satisfies the type of tax return test, dislocated worker test, or someone in the family has received certain means-tested federal benefits in the last two years. All right, so let's, after all that, move on to the reporting of assets. Some assets are reported on the FAFSA, and some just aren't. The Higher Education Act of 1965 defines 
assets as including cash on hand, including the amount in checking and savings, time deposits, money market funds, trusts, stocks, bonds, other securities, mutual funds, tax shelters, qualified education benefits, and the net value of real estate, income-producing property, and small business and farm assets. The net worth of an asset is the current market value reduced by the outstanding balance on any debts secured by the asset. So certain types of assets are excluded from the definition of assets, such as money and qualified retirement plans, the net worth of the family's principal place of residence, family farms and small businesses owned and controlled by the family. The FAFSA instructions specify that annuities are excluded, but only as a type of retirement plan, such as a qualified annuity. Investments do not include the home you live in, the value of life insurance, ABLE accounts, retirement funds, like 401k plans, pension funds, annuities, non-education IRAs, etc. <laughs> Such retirement plans have restrictions on distributions prior to the beneficiary reaching retirement age, or in other words, age 59 and a half, such as a 10% tax penalty on early distributions. The Federal Student Aid, FSA Handbook, a source of sub-regulatory guidance to college financial aid advisors, administrators, published by the U.S. Department of Education, provides additional detail in a list of excluded assets on pages 23 and 24 of the Application and Verification Guide. And it reads, Retirement and Life Insurance Plans and ABLE Accounts. An ABLE account is a tax-advantaged savings account for a disabled person and his or her family. Its value does not count as an asset on the FAFSA form. The value of retirement plans like 401ks, pension funds, annuities, non-education IRAs also is not counted as an asset, but distributions do, do count as income. They appear in the AGI if taxable and in questions 44 and 92 of the FAFSA if untaxed. Similarly, the cash value or equity of a whole life insurance policy isn't reported as an asset, but an insurance settlement does count as income. The full amount of the distribution is reported, whether it was a lump sum or annual distribution, and it will count as taxable or untaxed income as appropriate. An exception to reporting pension distributions is when they are rolled over into another retirement plan in the same tax year. The CSS profile draws a similar distinction between qualified and non-qualified annuities. Qualified annuities are not reported as assets on the CSS profile, but non-qualified annuities are reported. The CSS profile's instructions specify that investments include non-qualified, non-retirement annuities. Payments from qualified and non-qualified annuities are reported as income on the FAFSA and CSS profile. They're included in Adjusted Gross Income, AGI, if the payment is taxable and reported as untaxed income if not. AGI and untaxed income are added to yield total income and thus have the same impact on eligibility for need-based financial aid. This is similar to the treatment of a tax-free return on contributions from a Roth IRA, which is reported as untaxed income on the FAFSA. A similar treatment applies to payments from a structured settlement, even if the payments are tax-free as a qualified funding asset under the Periodic Payment Settlement Act of 1982. Trust funds are included in the statutory definition of assets. 
The FSA handbook states on page AVG 21 that these are generally reportable assets. Trust funds in the name of a student, spouse, or parent should be reported as that person's assets on the application, generally even if the beneficiary's access to the trust is restricted. If the settler of a trust has voluntarily placed restrictions on its use, then the student should report its present value as an asset, as discussed below. However, the FSA handbook specifies several circumstances in which a trust fund will not be reported as an asset. Trust funds that have been restricted by court order. The FSA handbook gives an example of such a restricted trust as one set up by court order to pay for future surgery for the victim of a car accident. Assets where ownership is currently being contested, like contested assets in a divorce or separation, a testamentary trust where the will is being contested, once ownership of the asset is resolved, it will be reported as an asset on a subsequent FAFSA. Here's an example. If the student or parent is the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, the proceeds of the life insurance policy will not be reported as an asset until they are paid. Similarly, bequests from a will are not reported as assets until the estate settles. Impact on Structured Settlements a structured settlement can potentially shelter the settlement on the FAFSA and CSS profile forms. The normal treatment of a lump sum settlement is to count it as income in the year received and as an asset to the extent that it is unspent as of the date the financial aid application form is filed. In addition, subsequent income from the asset will count as income on the FAFSA and CSS profile. Families can repeal for more favorable treatment of the lump sum payment. Many college financial aid administrators will disregard the initial receipt of the lump sum settlement as income because it is a one-time event that is not reflective of the family's ability to pay for college during the academic year. Nevertheless, the lump sum payment amount will still be counted as an asset to the extent that it is unspent as of the date the FAFSA or the CSS profile is filed. Financial aid administrators sometimes refer to this situation as double counting of the lump sum settlement as income and as an asset, eek. Subsequent income earned from investing the lump sum settlement will be reported as income on the financial aid application forms. Lots of good info here. If you're lost, there's an article that spells all of this out at thecollegeinvestor.com. For now, let's go ahead and move on if the settlement is provided in a structured settlement it will not be reported as income or as an asset in the year received. Although, get this, subsequent payments from the structured settlement will still count as income. The timing of these payments may have an impact on eligibility for need-based financial aid. A structured settlement is not sheltered on financial aid application forms because of the use of an annuity in funding the payments. Non-qualified annuities must be reported as assets on the FAFSA and CSS profile. Structured settlements are also not sheltered on financial aid application forms because of the tax-free status of the structured settlement. Rather, a structured settlement is sheltered because the restrictions were placed on the structured settlement by a third party, such as a court, and not by the family, even if the family had a role in negotiating the structured settlement. Hmm. This is particularly true when the structured settlement is intended to pay for future medical expenses of an accident victim. 
the specific examples cited by the FSA handbook. Note that if the payments from the structured settlement are received during the prior prior year, (laughs) they are reported as income on the FAFSA and CSS profile. If these payments are saved in a bank account, the bank account must be reported as an asset. The origin of the payments from a structured settlement does not cause them to be disregarded. However, if the payments are used to pay for medical or disability-related expenses, the family may be able to appeal to have those expenses offset the reporting of the payments as income. So some structured settlements will make four annual payments after the child turns 18. Since this can overlap with the child's college years, these payments can affect the child's eligibility for need-based financial aid, especially if the payments occur before the family files the FAFSA and CSS profile forms and thus are reported as assets on the financial aid forms. If the payments start before or when the child is enrolled in college, some college financial aid administrators may decide to treat the net present value of the future stream of payments as an asset if the use of those payments is not restricted or if the structured settlement lists paying for college as a permitted purpose. College financial aid administrators might also consider a structured settlement as an asset if it can be sold or borrowed against without requiring court approval. Most structured settlements cannot be sold without court approval. Thus, it may be beneficial to delay any payments from the structured settlement until after the child graduates from college. Changes coming with FAFSA simplification. The Consolidated Appropriations Act 2021 simplifies the FAFSA starting in 23 and 24. However, the U.S. Department of Education has announced that implementation will be delayed by a year. Thank you, until 2024 and 25. Among many other changes, the simplified FAFSA will drop the cash support question. This question is used to report untaxed income to the student. Because the FAFSA is based on prior prior year income, this change means that untaxed income to the student starting in 2022 will no longer affect the EFC, assuming that implementation of the simplified FAFSA is not delayed any further. If the payments from a structured settlement are tax-free, as is usually the case in situations involving the payment of damages due to injury, illness, or wrongful death, then the payments will no longer be reported on the FAFSA, starting with the 2024-25 FAFSA. Punitive damages may be taxable and also may affect financial aid eligibility, however. They may still be reported as untaxed income on the CSS profile, though. If the payments are taxable, they will continue to be reported in AGI on both the FAFSA and CSS profile. That is our show for today. If you're out of breath, I totally understand. That's a lot of information to pack in 15 minutes. So, if you want to see this article, kind of dig through it yourself and dig deep into the details. You can see this at thecollegeinvestor.com. Just simply copy and paste the title of this podcast into the search bar and you will find it. Hey, thanks so much for stopping by today. We're so grateful. And we'll talk to you again real 